Amen. Morning, everybody. Pop that slide up for us, Craig. We might need to go old school this morning, but that's fine. Um, you may see from the board hanging on the side, on the wall, uh, that we are starting a new series today. Um, it's a series that we've called Engage, and uh, there are a number of reasons for that. Um, I think one of those reasons is that through the ministry of this church and through what is happening uh, in the life of this church, we want to see people coming to faith in Jesus. So uh, every, uh, every so often we process um, applications for membership, people who uh, express the desire to, to be members over here. And I notice in the majority of cases, 99% of those cases, people who are joining the church and participating in the church are actually people who are moving from other churches. And that's fine. We don't, we don't minimize that. But, but I think for me the more important thing is we also want to be a church where we see people coming to faith in Jesus. But the other reason is that over the last phew, maybe about six months or so now, I've had a real sense of God alerting the church again to the importance of evangelism and reaching out to people. And it's been quite interesting. As I've spoken to different church leaders uh, in the city, there's almost this common theme uh, coming through. You know, it's sort of something you start sensing in your own heart. And then as you start to speak to other people, you become aware that, of the fact that there are other people who are beginning to sense uh, that same thing as well. And, and then as I've been listening to uh, preachers right across the world, a similar theme seems to be coming through over and over again. And you need to remember, when we go back to, to the Bible and we, when we go back to God's Word, that probably the, the most significant part of the story of the early Church, Testament church was how many people were coming to faith. Um, and, and you might say, well, you know, that was a very unique period in history and all of those kinds of things. Well, um, I guess that might be true to say, but um, the fact was that many people were, were coming to faith in Jesus. And the interesting thing for me is that they were coming to faith in Jesus in a climate that I would not call a conducive climate for people to come to faith. There was tons of persecution that was happening. You know, and we, we can, you can selectively read the uh, verses of Scripture in the book of Acts where it sounded like this was glory every day and was amazing and it was awesome. But may I just remind you that people were being put in prison. People were being martyred for their faith. Poor, uh, Saul was going around. He was throwing uh, people into prison. James is beheaded. The apostles are beaten. This is kind of the, the ethos that's taking place as people were coming to faith. And the question I've asked myself is, how in the world was it that so many people were coming to faith when it, you knew becoming a Christian could cost you? It's like so different to what we've got today. 
And yet that's, that's what was taking place um, in the New Testament at that time. And I think one of the, and, and, and Craig, if you wouldn't mind putting that back up for us, one of the things the church needs to keep going back to is the Matthew 28 and what Jesus said uh, to his disciples. And, and let me read that to you uh, again. There it is on the screen. It said, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Interesting that some doubted even at that stage still. And then Jesus came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded to you, commanded you. That instruction, you remember, was followed by something very significant uh, for the early church. And we read about it in Acts chapter 1 where we have come to call that event Pentecost in Christian circles. And Pentecost is very simply was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on every one of those believers that were meeting together just before Jesus ascended. And may I remind you, that was just about 120 people that were meeting together. But every single one of them is filled with the Holy Spirit. They are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that small group of people sees many people coming to faith in Jesus through what they're doing, and through the ministry um, that happens. Now, before I get any further into this message this morning, I've asked uh, Michelle Cable just to come and share with you how uh, she came to faith in Jesus, got a, a wonderful story of what the Lord has done in her life. And Michelle, why don't you uh, come and share that with us quickly, please? morning. Um, I'm going to share a part of my story, a very abbreviated part of my story, because my story is very long, and we'd be sitting here for quite a long time, and I've got like four or five minutes. Um, I grew up in a home that um, I basically grew up in fear. I lived in a home where we were Christian, not born-again Christians, but um, there was abuse in the home, and so my childhood years was filled with a fearful life. By the time I was 15, I wanted out. I wanted to get out, and I did. And I actually um, became a Muslim, um, which many people might not know. Um, I was about between 15 and 16, 15 going on 16. And I became a Muslim because not because I wanted to get married or anything, but I felt accepted there and I felt loved there. And about a year later, I then did marry a Muslim man. And during the, that time, I was married for about 12 years. And funny enough, the abuse started again um, to the point where it, it escalated that I actually divorced him and I left. And the thing with, with, with Muslims, because I came from a Christian background, they had a fear that I would become a Christian again. And so they started persecuting me. Um, and one of the main reasons was because I had three children and they were worried about that. So 
some of them decided to treat me with love to try and get me back in their, in their way of thinking. Um, the others tried to destroy me, literally, um, financially, just rob me and just to destroy my life. Um, and in the end, um, what really pushed it for me was they actually made an attempt on my life. Failed attempt, of course. Um, but they tried to kill me. And that's when I just lost faith in Islam. I just couldn't deal with this God that wasn't hearing me. Um, because I was a faithful Muslim. I was a, what they call a five-time-a-day namazi, which means I prayed five times a day. And I followed the Muslim religion quite strictly. So that, for me, that was, yeah, I just needed to get out again. And so I just really wasn't serving any God at all. I became angry. I started losing myself as a person, as a woman. Um, I actually in, came to the end of myself, and I just lost. I just basically was in the gutter. And um, I was actually having suicidal thoughts, and I was actually suicidal. Um, but unknown to me, um, there was a group of Christian people who met on a Thursday night, and they would pray for me. And um, it was on the 16th of June, 2000. Uh, my sister invited me to her home, and um, she was a Christian, and we were just having lunch, um, and um, I sat there, and I just heard the voice of God very, very clearly call me by my name. And he said to me, Michelle, so far and no further. That was an instant change for me. Something changed. Something happened. I knew it was Jesus. I knew it was the Lord. And immediately there was a dramatic change. I understood things that I never understood before. There was just this clarity that I had that I never had before. But a new battle had started for me. I gave my heart to the Lord, but a new battle started, and that was a spiritual battle. And when I talk about a spiritual battle, um, I'm not talking just about struggling to be a Christian. I'm talking about actual demonic attacks. Because even though I had left Islam, Islam wasn't going to let go of me. And it, it was going to do whatever it had to, to break me down and get me to where, I, where they wanted me to be. And um, I eventually, um, it took me about 10 years. I struggled with attacks for about 10 years. And it was really, really hard. Um, I, the, the other painful things that I also experienced was actually in the church. Um, I actually faced some persecution in the church, which was also hard, which actually made me feel like I didn't even want to be a Christian. But somehow God in his mercy and his grace, kept hold of me. And I, I had a love for God that I really couldn't explain. So that is really what kept me going. And then there came a day when the Lord really took hold of me. And um, he spoke to me out of Psalm 138. He taught me two things. The first thing was, in verse 2, he said to me, uh, well, David speaks to the Lord and he says, for you have magnified your word above all your name. And that that actually shook me because I understood that Jesus was the living word, but I also understood that the written word God was saying he had exalted above all things, even above his name Yahweh, and that is huge. So I understood that that's where I needed to be, and 
he also spoke to me in John 14, where he spoke to me about the Holy Spirit being my helper, understanding that I was not alone. Whatever my struggles were, the Holy Spirit was here to help me. He was here to provide for me. He was my best friend. And that's where the renewal of the mind came, the switch came. And um, it was in 2013 when the Lord sent me to Malawi for the first time. And when I, when I went to Malawi, I understood what the, the battle, the spiritual battle was all about. Because I was in territory where there were real demonic battles. And I understood what the 10 years was about. That was preparation time. God could have stopped it at any time, but he didn't. Because he needed to prepare me for evangelism. He needed to prepare me for going out there in the field where there was real opposition. And I remember our team really struggling when we went into the village of Katuli, where um, currently I still minister um, now. And um, it, God gave us victory over that, just like he gave me victory over the demonic um, struggles that I, that I had to deal with. He spoke to me about, um, in Psalm 138, he speaks in verse 3, in the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. And that's really what God did with me. He made me bold with strength in my soul. And that's really how I could carry on. And that's how I could go into evangelism and just stick with the Lord. And in the end, he said to me, in verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. And that is exactly what is happening now. God is busy perfecting that which he started within me. And the one thing that I really understood at the end of all this, when um, the Lord took me into Malawi, was we are called, I was called to serve the Lord. And not just serving by coming to church every Sunday, but actually going out there and telling people, about the Lord. He specifically chose Malawi for his reasons, but that, that is what we are called to do. We are not just here to come to church. We are here to serve God. We are here to go out to make disciples of all nations and to tell people about Jesus. And so I understand that God is for me. I understand that he's not against me. I understand that he is, it's his will and not ours, and it is his will for us to share his word. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now, earlier on I asked the question, why is it that we discover in, as we read through the Bible, that people were coming to faith on a regular basis, even though there was so much opposition and so much persecution? And it would seem as though there were the reason for that is that there was faithful and intentional preaching of the gospel accompanied by demonstrations of the Spirit's power. And that was having a huge impact on people's lives. Now this morning I want us to take some time to explore the connection between what we are called to do as believers and what we are trusting God to be doing as He uses us. And Christianity spread... Because Christians were proclaiming the good news and there were many demonstrations of the Spirit's power that accompanied that preaching. So let's read from 
um, Romans chapter 15. This is near the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, and he talks a little bit about his ministry to the Gentiles. He said, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I've written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Paul highlights the fact over here that it was because of what Jesus was doing through him that people in unreached areas were coming to faith in God. You see, there's something fundamental that Paul believed, and that was he believed it was God's will for people to be saved. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe it's God's will for people to be saved? Okay, that's great. So, so his priority in life... Paul's priority is to fulfill the mandate God had given to him to go to the Gentile world with the gospel because he absolutely believed that through the gospel, people would be saved. That's what he says in Romans 15. He said, I was a, a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Look at the way he views what God has done in his own life, in his testimony, when he writes to Timothy. He said, uh, verse 15, we can pick it up there. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. May I put it to you like this? The passion that Paul had to see Gentiles saved was contagious. When you spoke to Paul, you knew that he believed what he was talking about. You were convinced by his own passion. Here's a man that says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He's a man who's willing to lay down his life to preach the gospel. When you listened to Paul, you became convinced because he was convinced. 
And friends, part of this journey of us sharing our faith is if we ourselves are not convinced, how are others ever going to believe us? He was fully persuaded. This was something that he was very committed to. Listen to what he says in, in Romans 1 and verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. Now I'd like to propose or suggest to you this morning, I think that there's a mind shift change that needs to happen for people like us to be like Paul. Paul models for us, I don't believe we're all Pauls, but he does model for us what happens when we have this kind of conviction, when we are trusting in what the Holy Spirit is going to do. You see, people are saved because of who we are and what we are. Remember Paul's words uh, in Corinthians, we are Christ's ambassadors and through, sorry, as though God were making His appeal through us. Now, what is the mind shift change that needs to take place for us? Because I think when we, we begin to look at what Paul is saying, there's a, there's a change that needs to happen. The first change is this. We need to believe in miracles again. I think this thing of miracles has almost divided Christians. Do we still believe that God is the God of miracles today? And friends, I want to say this this morning. Because nobody ever gets saved through you or me. They get saved by the power of God changing their life. Friends, that's a miracle. And if we don't believe in miracles, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be reluctant. We're going to be, we're going to be reluctant to step out and be used of God because ultimately they are saved through Him, not through you. They, he might use us, and He does use us, but may I say, they get saved because of Jesus. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's words. When I came to you, brothers... I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. Here's the Apostle Paul. Let me introduce you to another side of the Apostle Paul. The guy that we've always had portrayed as this awesome Apostle who's full of God and full of strength and so confident. He said, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You know, our whole approach to evangelism changes when we start relying on God's power. I, I want to say to you, I think as a generation of people, we have become far too reliant on ourselves. There is a shift that needs to take place. I've even prayed many times when I stand on a Sunday morning like this and I preach or I speak. I'm saying, God, am I relying on me or am I truly relying on the Holy Spirit? I don't want to do it in my own effort. I want Him to work through what I'm doing. Believing 
in miracles. I think another mind shift change um, that needs to take place is very simply, God is going to use us in different ways. But I want to assure you, He's going to use us. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, God made it grow. Do you remember Paul has to ask the Corinthians this question, so who is Paul, who is Apollos, who is Peter? Now I want to tell you who Apollos was. He was one of the most profound preachers going at the time. He would have been one of the guys you would have YouTubed first if you wanted to listen to a good sermon. Who was, who was Paul? Paul was the great apostle, the great theologian, the great thinker of the day. That's who he was. Who was Peter? Well, he was one of the twelve, one of the three that was closest to Jesus. You know what Paul's answer to that is? Who are they? He said, only servants through whom God is at work. And the point is this. He will use you and he will use me differently, but he's still going to use us. Um, you, you might think that um, this sermon series is an introduction to a new program on evangelism we're going to run. And I want to tell you, if you think that, you are absolutely right. <laughs> the part that you don't know, that's the good news. The, the, the other side of that coin is, you are the program. Do you know it's very interesting, and I... We'll talk about this a little bit later on. At a, at a conference my wife went to some years ago, it was a big conference, there were about 10,000 people there. They asked people to indicate how they'd come to faith in Jesus. 80% of people indicated they came to faith in Jesus through the love and concern of one person. 80%. And I'm not for a second trying to run down any great evangelism programs, good preaching in the church. All I want you to know is the facts. You know who the greatest instruments are in people coming to faith is us. The third mind shift change I think that needs to take place is that we need to recognize the greatest opposition we're going to have is going to come from inside of us. Let me put it to you like this. It's from our response to what is happening around us. We can become fearful. We can start to focus on ourselves. We can become insensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Unbelief can serve us. All kinds of things begin to happen. That's why the early church prayed the way they did. They said, Lord, give us boldness. Lord, do signs, wonders, and miracles. Not because they were wanting a show, because they knew they were not supposed to be doing it in their own strength. They were supposed to be doing it in God's strength. Paul absolutely believed it was God's will for people to be saved. The other reason people were coming to faith through Paul's ministry, Gentiles were coming to faith through his ministry, is that he modeled what he was doing on Jesus. His model for ministry was Jesus. And, and, and you might all say to yourselves this morning, well, yes, I believe Jesus is my model for ministry, the model that I'm supposed to look at when it comes to evangelism. Well, let's investigate that uh, a little bit. If we go back to Matthew chapter 10, we've got a description of Jesus 
instructing the disciples on what they are to do when they go out. Listen to it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He called the 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely as you have received, so freely give. Later on, you'll remember, he doesn't only send out the 12, he sends out more than that, 72. And they come and they report back to Jesus and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were like quite surprised. Uh, and he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, obviously in the light of what you're saying in your ministry. He said, I've given you authority, trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And that doesn't mean we're going to have a scorpion eating day here. I think what he's talking about over there is over the works of the enemy, I'm giving you authority as you go out. And while the message of the kingdom was clearly proclaimed, there were also demonstrations of God's power in different ways that were taking place through their ministry. That's why he said, I'll not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now, the reason we are going through this series and the reason I'm preaching today is not to give you another sermon on evangelism. I think most of us are about here with the number of sermons we've had on evangelism. My goal, my heart, is that we would do evangelism. And the question I want us to ask this morning, with, as we've been looking at Paul and his ministry, is how does that happen? What does it look like in practice? If you're saying, John, uh, you say, you've, given, you've shared with us about evangelism, you, you shared with us about proclaiming the good news, you shared with us about God working in power in people's lives, so what, is that, what am I meant to do? Well, let me share with you a few things that I think will help you to land that this morning. And the first one is this. You can go to the next slide, please. Learn to love people. Learn to love people. Doing evangelism is not another church program. It is not Bible bashing people. It is not that you and I can feel good that we've shared with somebody else. Friends, it all starts by loving people. You remember that um, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and he speaks about all of the amazing things that you can do and he says if you haven't got love, then somehow a lot of what you're doing is a waste of time. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find Christians are the most critical people of everybody in society. And I'm not saying that we must accept what's going on. But somehow we've got to learn to love the unlovely and the unwanted. Something we need to ask God to do for us 
Think about it like this. If you are sharing Christ with somebody and you don't love them, guess what they'll pick up? The fact that you don't love them. Have you noticed that? People pick it up like that. How often wasn't Jesus himself criticized by the religious people of the day because of where he went, who he spoke to, and the people he really loved and cared for? The Bible says he had compassion on people. And he ministered to them. And all I want to say this morning, if we're going to get practical about this, let's begin as people by saying, God, help me to love people. The second thing, discover how the Holy Spirit is going to use you. We are all different here. Remember, I shared with you a minute ago that, um, that how many people come to faith through the individual time, the personal time we spend with them, praying for them, walking with them, sharing with them, praying for them, ministering to them. Remember some years ago, uh, now Billy Graham was, when he was still alive, was speaking at the Lausanne Conference of World Evangelism. Everybody said to him, Billy Graham, what are we going to do when you're no longer around? Who's going to do what you've been doing? And he turned to them and said, you are. I think one of the greatest and most significant forces in the world is the church that God has left in place. It's us. Thirdly, be yourself. Be yourself. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given to you. Friends, stop comparing yourself to other people. We're always looking at somebody else and saying, God, I'll never be able to. Well, what's God want you to do? And what's He want me to do? As long as I keep comparing myself to somebody else that God is using in a different way, I'm never going to do anything. I'm going to be paralyzed. Because I'm always going to say, well, poor me. Just have a great evaluation of yourself. Say, I'm God's child. I have the Holy Spirit. God can use me. He's made me uniquely. He's given me spiritual gifts. So what's God want to do with you? Whatever the next number is, maybe number five. Rewrite your script for the times you spend alone with God. You heard Michelle sharing earlier on that what she didn't know is that people were praying for her. They were praying for her. You know that the real work that the church needs to get back to is prayer. Praying for people to get saved. 
praying for strongholds over strongholds in their life, praying that God will release them, praying that God will bring people around them, praying that their eyes would be open. Friends, let's get back to praying for people to get saved. The next one is maybe an unusual one for you, but... It's what I call ministering out of overflow. You know, when you've spent time with Jesus, you tend to talk about Jesus. It's what is God doing in your heart? What's God doing in your life? That that I've been with Him and I've been in His presence. People spoke about the Lord because they were full of the Lord. I think that's something of What John is speaking about in his gospel when he says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, stay plugged in to God. There's so much that wants to push us away. The next one, leave the miracles up to the Lord. It's like, you don't have to save somebody. God does that. You don't have to try and save them. God does that. All you've got to do is be His instrument. Then be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying. In the flow, ebb and flow of life, you will discover that God is going to speak to you and lead you. That's what God does. It's not something weird and unusual. It's normal Christianity to be led of the Lord. So when you begin to read in Acts what was happening, you'll discover a person like Philip who's in Jerusalem and the Lord sends, I think it was an angel to him, and the angel says to him, by the way, I want you to go down to the desert road and I need you to go and spend some time. But he's, Lord, don't you realize I'm busy with a lot of church business in Jerusalem? No, 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 go to the desert road. And what, is he, what happens? He goes to the desert road and he's there and, and he, he discovers coming along the desert road is an Ethiopian. And he is reading from Isaiah chapter 53 and he's reading out loud from the scroll because that's how it happened in those days. And he goes up to him and said, by the way, do you know what you're reading about? And he said, I haven't got a clue. I wish there was somebody that could tell me. He says, I'm your guy. (laughs) And leads him to the Lord because he was listening to the Spirit. What about Peter when he's praying on the rooftop in Joppa? And God says, by the way, Peter, there's three guys that are going to arrive at the door. And when they arrive at the door, they're Gentiles, but go with them anyway. And Peter said, well, Lord, that's out of my comfort zone. God says, go anyway. And and he goes with him. And you remember, he goes to Caesarea and he begins to tell his story about what God's been doing in his life. And the Holy Spirit falls on a whole lot of them and they get saved. Because somebody was listening to the Spirit. Or what about when the church was praying in Acts chapter 13? And they're praying, Lord, and the Holy Spirit says, set apart Saul and Barnabas. So what does the church do? They actually set apart Paul and Barnabas. And guess what happened? The gospel started to spread outwards because they were listening to the Spirit. 
The last one's the easiest one. Easiest and most difficult one. I nearly had a good cartoon for you, and I thought maybe not. Just do it. It's like there is a place to step out in faith. There is a place to say, Lord, maybe within me I feel a little bit uncertain, but, but God, I want to step out in faith. And I'm going to do it. And I'd love to give you all a, just a, a little assignment for the week. And the assignment's quite a simple one. Why don't you just pray this week, every day, and just say, Lord, who is it that you're putting on my heart and what would you like me to do? And just do it and watch what happens. You see, because you'll discover that God cares for people way more than you do. And God's way more concerned for them than you are. And when we start to do that and you say, Lord, well, I'm just making myself available. What was it they were saying? Help yourself just now. But Lord, I'm willing to be that. You'll discover what God is going to do. Now, Shayla, are you here somewhere? Come and share quickly. Shayla had an interesting experience that um, she was talking to me about. And uh, something I've asked her just to share with you this morning, uh, briefly, and how the Lord touched her life for the people around about her. Um, so it was last Saturday, um, Ian and myself went to the gym and we were going to go and meet up for um, a breakfast afterwards. And when I was running, I was listening to this podcast and something triggered a thought because um, they mentioned about this guy who was driving in a car. And when they were driving with this guy, he did not initiate any conversation. It was really awkward. And he was just driving with this guy. And so he would be the one to initiate conversation with this, this man. And, but this man is known for incredible preaching and these incredible like, golden nuggets of truth to come out of him. Yet when he's driving, he was just completely, apparently he's known for that. So I was just asking the Lord, like, why was he so quiet? Why was he? And what I felt God saying was he was just speaking to me, like he was just in conversation with me. So now I was in the, um, I was getting changed in the changing room. And I just said, okay, Lord, like often when I pray for people, I'll say like, God, just on my own inside, I'll say, God, show me how you see these people. Give me eyes to see what these people, how you see these people, not what I'm seeing. And um, so I said to God, okay, God, I want to have a conversation with you until breakfast. And just let me just speak to you and let me just hear what you're doing and what you're saying around me. So I started off, and I just started saying, God, I brought my own heart before him, and then just praying inside, like just saying what I feel about God. And, and next thing, there were about 12 people in that change room, and, and it was like, it, it was like uh, that song actually that said early on, how do we hold God's heart of love? That was how I felt really overwhelmed by that, that, that little time I had there. I would see people and I could just see, I could see, I felt so much love and compassion for them, but I also saw brokenness. I saw they started seeing some of the stuff that was going on in their lives and just some of the things that have just, life had been hard. Um, I also saw a lot, some joy and gentleness in some others and, and it was really overwhelming. So I just started praying because I just felt there were so many around me. I just started praying and saying, okay, God, why are you showing me that? Okay, let me pray. And, and it was almost like the, 
the world almost detached from, from me. I know that sounds a bit strange, but it was almost like I started seeing in the un, unseen world what God sees all the time. I don't know how his heart contains all that love he's got for us. And, um, and then I went to go sit down, and, and as I was sitting there, I was waiting for Ian to have breakfast, and I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do when Ian gets here? Because I'm just feeling so, um, it was just such a special place, and I'm like, how, how are you going to see, how am I going to see Ian differently? And as he walked towards me, I just felt the scripture, which I'm not going to share with you, but the scripture so strongly on my heart for him, and, and then he came to me, and he's like, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, just, I'll explain later, because I think I would have just burst into tears then, so I was, I'll explain, I'll explain later, and then I could speak it to him, and, and, and now it's up to him to go sit with that, with the Lord, but, and then I think the space before was just to intercede, and just to pray for those people, and be that light there, but I just, um, I wrote down on my hand here, because there were some songs that were um, sung here, but it says, it's, it's quite, it's, it's heavy words, when we're singing, open up my eyes to the things unseen, that's not something to take lightly, because when we start seeing people, how God sees them, and it's a, and it's a, it's a walk, it's a challenge, um, it's, it's unbelievable what we can see, and, um, and, and I've had challenges in the past where I've got intimidated by people, we're very quickly bumped up against what I see in the natural, but God has called us to something so much higher, um, not, to, not to look at people from the outward appearance, but to look at their hearts and what is God doing in their lives. And, and when we do that, it's, it's amazing how that compassion, we can move to speak and our, our words can be received. And I think the thing that struck me the most is there was not one person in that 20 minutes, there was not one person that I saw that did not need Jesus. There was not one person. There was not one... Um, yeah, there were people who were, who were, you could see were holding on to anger. There were lots of things. Um, but every single person needed Jesus. And that was the thing that rose up inside me. Um, yeah. Thank you, Shayla. Won't you stand with me as we close off? I'm really hoping that for all of us here, just God is moving our hearts to come into alignment with His heart, His heart for the nations, His heart for our city, His heart for our families, our children, our friends around us, that we may really have the heart of God as the church. Evangelism is not a program. Evangelism is about the person of Jesus. Evangelism is about people being saved by the power of God. Evangelism is God using ordinary people like you and me to minister to others, to serve, if you want to use that word rather, to serve those around about us. But isn't it true to say we can't stay quiet anymore? We cannot. And so, Lord, I want to pray this morning for us as a church that you're going to start adding to our number those who are being saved. 
I want to pray, Lord, that you will use people in this church. You will use them to love other people. You will use them to speak into other people's lives. You will use us to serve people. Lord, you will use us to make an impact on other people's lives as you work through us. Lord, will you give us boldness? Not so that we can be big and strong in ourselves, but Lord, may we have boldness to serve you. Lord, I pray that you will demonstrate your power through signs and wonders and miracles. Lord, that people be aware that the God of miracles is at work in their lives. Father, we want to pray this this morning because we see and we know and we understand your heart for people. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just for any of you here, if you would like Michelle just to pray for you this morning, I'll also be available in the front. If you'd love some prayer, uh, please feel free to come through and we can share with you.